Hey guys, this is uh, the Per Tempest podcast with uh, Jason Harvey, and today I've got a new episode for you guys. We're going to be concentrating on the Revolutionary War, and uh, I've been able to go back into my ancestry and find some uh, some guys who actually served uh, during the Revolutionary War era. And um, the uh, first guy that I came across, his name is uh, Robert McElrath, uh, but almost said McElwin from uh, last episode. <laughs> but um, anyway, Robert McElrath. Um, and I just kind of wanted to, he, he is Scottish. Well, he is Scottish descent. And uh, there's this cool little website that I found called the uh, House of Names. And you can check out where your um, surname originates from. So it says here that uh, the surname McElrath was first found in Ar Ayrshire, Ayrshire. Uh, formerly a county in southwestern Strathclyde region of Scotland that today makes up the council areas of southeast and north um, Ayrshire, um, where they held a family seat from very early times. And um, let's see, it says it finds its ancestral home among the rugged mountains and sea-swept uh, Hebrides. I hope I said that right. The Hebrides, islands of Scotland, west coast, in that area once known as the Kingdom of Dalriada. Remember that from, I think it was the uh, last podcast, or maybe it was the podcast before, but we talked about the Kingdom of uh, Dalriada taking over um, most of Scotland uh, after the Pictish kingdoms fell, after the Viking attacks. Anyway, uh, McElrath evolved as a nickname for a young man with tan skin, or with tawny hair with darker streaks. The Gaelic form of the name is... Yikes. I'm probably not going to be able to read that off. Um, but it does say it also means son of the brindled lad. So, if you could imagine a brindled human being, there you go. That's where the name McElrath comes from. McElrath? Miguel, it's spelled E-L-M-C-E-L-R-E-A-T-H. Miguel Wraith. Miguel Wrath. I think I like Miguel Wrath better. It makes it sound like, I don't know, maybe he's a ring wraith from Lord of the Rings. Oh, I'm such a nerd. Okay. Uh, let's see. So I was able to find this document. This is uh, from a cemetery. Um, he was born August 4th, 1748 in North Carolina, and uh, he died in 1790, uh, Barnwell County, South Carolina, United States. And um, it says, well, the, the cemetery writes up Third Creek Presbyterian Church Cemetery at least 13 members of the Third Creek fought in the Revolution. Most of these patriots lie in the large grave adjacent to the church of all the Revolutionary War soldiers interred at Third Creek 
Perhaps the most interesting was Robert McElrath, a talented gunsmith. He married the daughter of Reverend John Thompson, the first minister at Third Creek. During the war, McElrath served as a chief armorer uh, for the state of South Carolina. When American forces were at their lowest ebb in Palmetto State, the uh, Patriot cause there was without a single printing press to disseminate news and war propaganda. Governor John Rutledge was anxious to publish a proclamation of patriotism that was to be characterized by thoughts that breathe and words that burn. Yeah. An aide to the governor, cognizant of McElrath's reputation, suggested to Rutledge that there was that there is a gunsmith living a few miles away who never failed in a solitary attempt to accomplish anything he put his hands to. Well, please send for him, Rutledge responded. When, Meg, when McElrath arrived, he was assigned a difficult task by the governor, who said, My wishes are that you cast forth a set of types with which I might set forth my proclamation. It just sounds so epic. Like it could be in a movie. Probably isn't a movie. I just, I don't know. Haven't seen it. Materials were promptly requested, and the gunsmith went to work. In a single day, he fabricated a workable press from which poured copies of the governor's message. Um, it also says, Robert McElrath was born in Augusta County, Virginia on August 4th, 1748. In about the year 1753, his father, John McElrath, and his mother, Agnes, Nancy McDowell, moved to Rowan County, North Carolina. They settled in that part of Rowan County, which later was cut into Aradell County. The elder John McElrath transported into the province of North Carolina many persons, and for these services, he was granted many acres of land. At the outbreak of the Revolutionary War, the state of California, uh, South Carolina found itself in desperate need of a man to act as chief armorer and to supervise and render services in the capacity of manufacturing all arms, guns, swords, and rifles to be used in defending the state against the Tories and the English domination. The name of Robert McElrath was brought before the powers to be and they sent a representative to Rowan County, uh, North Carolina, to try and procure the services of this man. M Mr. McElrath agreed to accept the position and began... Um, oh, here we go. Come on. Immediately to prepare for his journey to Charleston. Robert McElrath married Jane Shields, April 26, 1776. Wow. Just a few months before uh, the Declaration of Independence, right? Declaration of Independence was signed July 4th, 1776. Yes. Several months before the war actually broke out and the records found in the South Carolina Historical Commission and the revolutionary file of Robert McElrath indicate that he made the trip to Charleston and that he and his young wife were quartered in the residence of the late Alexander Grimke, who had recently died. Ooh, that's a little creepy. Anyway, moving on. The revolutionary records found in the State Historical Commission shed quite a lot of light and information on the life and career of uh, Mr. McElrath. It appears by the records that he was taken prisoner twice by the British 
and was imprisoned in St. Augustine, Florida. Twice he escaped. After the war, the House and Senate of South Carolina voted to pay him all of his back salary, including the time he was in prison. He agreed. Uh, salary was 4,000 pounds of old English per currency per year and was proclaimed the most patriotic, deserving man of the province. In the darkest days of the revolution, President Rutledge had established headquarters at Orangeburg, very close to the same area that became, a few years later, Barnwell District. He convened all of his militias in a language which few might mistake and none could resist. He invited the Tories to a con consultation. The Tories came in by companies, by battalions, regiments, and were formed into the brigade by the name of state troops under Henderson and did service in the ba Great Battle of the Utah. E-U-T-A-W. Utah? I guess that's how you pronounce it. President Rutledge had prepared in thoughts that breath and words that burn and called together his ready writers to copy off his proclamation. The president desired the proclamation to be copied for circulation in the most finished uh, cryography. Blah. <sighs> These words are killing me. <laughs> A person in whom he had confidence advised the president of the great advantage of sending him his proclamation forth in print. The president thoroughly agreed, but admitted that the British were in possession of every printing press in the state, and that it would be impossible for him to obtain even the temporary use of them. That difficulty, replied the person, may be overcome. There is a gunsmith rendering service to our state who has never failed in a solitary attempt to accomplish anything he put his hands to. The president immediately asked for Mr. McElrath to be sent for him. In a short time, Robert McElrath reported to the president and respectfully, respectfully inquired his needs and demands. Mr. McElrath pleaded innocent of any knowledge in the art of typefounding, but finally agreed to try. Pewter plates and all procurable uh, material for the important job were immediately put into requisition. The ingenious mechanic went to work. Some went to manufacturing printers, ink, and suitable paper was procured. The types were finished in a day. And on the following day out came the proclamation. Robert McElrath, after the war was in its last stages, left Charleston in company of Ernest Poyas, Stephen Smith, and Daniel Bordreau, Bor Bordeaux, and removed to the lower three runs in Orangeburg District, where he purchased a plantation for himself and his family, which he called Lath, Lath, L-E-T-H-E. It was on this plantation that he resided until his un untimely death, which occurred in the year 1790. The Barnwell Courthouse records are full of information on the settlement of his estate. At his death, McElrath owned six sawmills, about 9,000 acres of land, and owned about 100 slaves. Up to up until a few years ago, some of the ruins and the foundations of these mills could be seen. His estate went into litigation through the affairs of Mr. Bordeaux, who was appointed administrator. For some 30-odd years, there were court cases 
and there was much controversy between his widow, Jane McElrath, and, next page, the administers of the state. After the death of Mr. McElrath, his widow, Jane McElrath, married as her second husband, Daniel Miller, of Barnwell District. He continued to make guns and also was somewhat gifted in the art of silversmithing. When Winston County was formed and a courthouse was built, the name of this man is found on some of the earliest records. The state, Leonardo Andrea, well-known in South Carolina, well-known South Carolina historian and genealogist, said he found in records where Mr. McElrath was one of those who selected the site for a Winton County courthouse. Mr. Andrea compiled quite a lot of information on the subject of this article and examined all of the land, grant, and patent books in the State Historical Commission. Wow. Sounds like... uh, well, there it is. I mean, he didn't fight in the revolution, but his services allowed um, for the creation of guns and ammunition and uh, all kinds of stuff that the uh, soldiers in South Carolina would have needed. So, um, so yeah. And uh, let's see, that Robert McElrath, um, he comes from my father's side of... Um, my ancestry, and uh, I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, there were some records that I found, um, both on my father's side and mother's side, where I guess there's this society called uh, Sons of the American Revolution, and um, the Sons of the American Revolution. I guess you can only apply to it if one of your ancestors, um served in the Revolutionary War in some capacity. So uh, these guys, I was able to find, um, let's see, Henry Hall, Samuel Rockwood, and um, that's on my uh, on my father's side. Now on my mother's side, there's, a, there's three individuals um, that I think that had stories uh, written about them. Let's see. So the first one on my mother's side is Private William Norman, William Norman, William Harrison Norman. There it is. So it says in this little write-up about him, Private William Norman fought under Captain George Stubblefield. Lieutenant Colonel Josiah Parker, Josiah Parker, and Colonel Charles Scott, all in the 5th Virginia Regiment. Their service is described in the history page of the website for the reenacting forces for the 5th Virginia, 1778. It says, The 5th Regiment of Virginia troops under the command of William Peachy, along with the 3rd Regiment, was assigned the area between uh, Potawomac and the Repanoac. I think I said that right, for security. The 5th Regiment was then stationed at Richmond Courthouse, where the activities of the 5th Regiment from March 1776 until July 1776 are covered in the orderly book of the company of Captain George Stubblefield. 
May 7, 1776, Colonel William Peachy resigned and Colonel, Will Colonel Scott was assigned as commander of the regiment. It is unclear as to when the 5th Regiment marched to join Washington's forces, although it is known that they were part of Brigadier General Adam Stevens' brigade at the Battle of Trenton. Here it is reported that General Stephan jeopardized Washington's Trenton raid by sending an unauthorized patrol across the Delaware River on Christmas Day. The patrol was led by Captain Richard Anderson of the 5th Virginia Regiment. January 1st, 1777, found the 5th Regiment under Colonel Scott making up part of an outpost along Five Mile Run on the Trenton Princeton Road. With the advantage, with the advance of British, should probably slow down a little bit here. With the advance of the British from Princeton, this outpost reacted or retreated to the direction of Trenton, finally reaching the main battle position south of Assumpank Creek. I think that's how you say it. Assumpank whatever <laughs> it is known is known that part of the 5th regiment played uh, a part during the battle of princeton on january 3rd 1777 in april 1777 saw the uh, 5th virginia under the command of colonel josiah parker part of the uh, general pete mullenberg's brigade consisting of the 1st 5th 8th and 9th and 13th virginia regiments the history of the 5th Virginia Regiment from the period of April 1777 to December is reflected in the writings of General Mullenberg in his orderly book. In the Battle of Brandywine, hey, Lord of the Rings, uh, September 11th, 1777, the uh, 5th Virginia, as a member of Mullenberg's brigade, along with Whedon and Nash's brigade, formed Green's division. The extent of uh, the 5th's participation in the battle is unknown. Likewise, the performance of one uh, of the regiment as the members of Mullenberg's brigade at the Battle of Germantown on October 4th, uh, 1777, is also unknown. However, it is known that Mullenberg led his brigade in a bayonet attack that penetrated the British lines and pushed 1,000 yards to the rear. In his subsequent retreat to regain Green's main body, Colonel Matthews' 9th Virginia, which led the advance, was surrounded and captured. During the winter of 1778 through 1777, hang on, let me back up. The winter of 1777 through 1778, the 5th Virginia continued to be a part of Mullenberg's brigade and encamped with the rest of the Continental Line at Valley Forge. Due to the lack of uh, factual information, it is not known whether the 5th Virginia participated in the Battle of Monmouth on June 28, 1778. Records do show that sometime between May 1778 and July 1778, Colonel Joseph Parker was replaced by Colonel Abraham Buford. So it sounds like, <clears throat> so it sounds like William was more than likely seeing some 
some action uh, during his time with the uh, Fifth Virginia. So, and, you know, he was a private, so I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he was a part of that, I'm pretty sure he was a part of that bayonet push. Um, now, it, there's another story, uh, there's a nice little picture of his tombstone, and uh, just a little paragraph was written on him. William enlisted in the Virginia Continental Line on February 1st, 1776, and served for a period of two years in the Revolutionary War. He was a private in Captain George Doublefield's company, 5th Virginia Regiment, which was commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Josiah Parker. In June 1776, he was transferred to Captain Philip Richard Francis Lee's company, the 3rd Virginia Regiment, commanded by a Colonel Thomas Marshall and in Brigadier General George Whedon's celebrated Virginia Brigade. Wow, that's cool. Still don't know what he exactly did, but I don't know. We might never know. Okay, so that covers William Harrison Norman's uh, service in the Revolutionary War. And the next person that I'd like to uh, continue on with is a Daniel Patterson. Excuse me, I gotta look him up. So Daniel Patterson uh, was a Scottish immigrant in Clan Patterson. I looked it up on House of Names again. Uh, it says the surname Patterson was first found in Ross, Ross Shire, a former county now part of the council areas of Highland and Western Isles in northern Scotland, which emerged from the Gaelic lordship of the Earl of Ross, the ancestral home of the clan uh, Faderian. Jeez, I hope I said that right. Um, also known as Patterson's, was on the north side of Loch Fine. Moving from the uh, from the Gaelic into English spellings resulted in the typical wide range of surname spellings. By example, William. Patterson and John Pattinson, as in P-A-T-O-N-S-O-N. -O -O uh, so there, there's the difference in the spelling there. Um, and it says they were those individuals were witnessed in Aberdeen in 1446, and Donald, oh boy, Patryson, P-A-T. Patrison, P-A-T-R-Y, or Y-R-S-O-N, was admitted to the Burgess of Aberdeen in 1494, and Robert Patterson, wow, was captain of a ship where of Dundee. Wow, man, their spelling was terrible. In 1544, Finlay Patterson had a tack of lands of O.R. Elric from the Abbey of Cupar in 1557 and so on. Hmm, let's see. But it doesn't tell us exactly. I did read somewhere that the name Patterson uh, comes from uh, St. Patrick, which is, uh, I would assume, the patron saint of Ireland. So 
And it does. It says here that the root of the ancient Dalriadan Scottish name uh, Patterson is the personal name of Patrick, so son of Patrick, or I don't know. Maybe it didn't pertain to Saint Patrick himself, but perhaps somebody that he converted uh, took on the name Patterson. That's my guess, anyway. Anyway. Daniel Patterson is of that clan, and uh, it says here that Daniel Patterson was a teacher in the Edinburgh University of Scotland, and he came to this country 12 years before the American Revolutionary with a colony of Highlanders, although himself a lowlander, uh, landing at Fayetteville, North Carolina. He married Mary, married Mary Macmillan and soon removed to the Raft Swamp in Robeson County. The Scotch settlement extended over the territory now embraced in the counties of Moore, Robeson, Cumberland, and Richmond. Daniel Patterson aided in the American Revolution, public records proving that as a member of the militia, he was paid for services rendered. Many of these commanders served in the Revolution, although most of the Scotch immigrants were acquired by the English government to take an oath of allegiance to this to the English crown before leaving England after the Battle of Culloden. An oath of this character may have been regarded nil as being one of duress. It is said that there was dissension among some of the valiant tribe in an attempt to settle the question and that they even in some instances fought it out in pitched battles. Daniel Patterson's descendants are proving their faith and loyalty by joining the Daughters of the American Revolution through his record. He was born in 1731 and died on August 5th, 1809. So, like I said, um, I did find something about his service, although it was very brief. It just said that he served in a local local, uh, type militia in, um, oh, do, 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 in North Carolina. So he, he was a part of some, uh, militia in South Carolina and going over these, um, honorable mentions and, uh, these stories, there was just one who we just talked about, William Harrison Norman, who is a part of, uh, you know, an organized military company, whereas everybody else was serving in militias and going up against uh, these British forces. Um, it just, going over this research, it tells me that, you know, while the United States probably didn't have the bigger, better weapons that the British did, what they did have was people who were just willing to fight for their home. And uh, I guess it just shows me that anytime you have an, an invading force of superior numbers and superior weapons, usually the battle's going to go the way of the defending force. So the Americans, um, they knew the land, they had the resources, um, and they had the will to fight. Whereas 
maybe in certain in other colonies that were British controlled, um, maybe the native population just could not mount an effective offense against the British forces, whereas the Americans could. I think that makes sense, right? So, anyway, getting back to to my list here. Now, the next person on my mother's side uh, would be Jeremiah Williams. And I have this record here. Um, let's see. It is a lineage book that I found um, under the Daughters of the American Revolution. And it mentions Jeremiah Williams uh, with the date 1760 to 1831. He served as a sergeant and a captain in 1780 to 1783. So he's about 20 years old, 23, in South in the South Carolina militia. He was born in France, died in Anderson County, South Carolina. Hmm. And I think, oh, well, it does mention that I assume this is his descendant, Mrs. Betty Crutchfield Stevenson, uh, is the descendant of Captain Jeremiah Williams. So, but I didn't find her in uh, my ancestry. So, we are barely related. It says here, Jeremiah Williams Jr. served as the Justice of the Peace in Orangeburg District, South Carolina. So, he was in the same area as Robert McElrath. Very cool. Uh, South Carolina in 1802 for several years after that in Edgefield District. In December 20th, 1825, a petition was made for a state pension giving the war record of Jeremiah Williams Jr. The petition reads as follows. To the Honorable, the Senate, and host of the representatives of the state of South Carolina, the petition of the subscriber respectfully showeth that he performed in the services of his country during the Revolutionary War, for which he received no other compensation than the employment of those blessings in common with his fellow citizens, which have grown out of our political institutions. Nor would he ask the aid of the legislative provision were it not his inability to procure the ordinary comfort of life. The first service that the petitioner uh, performed un during our struggle for independence was in assisting Captain Samuel Taylor's lieutenants Daggett and Armstrong in enlisting men for the service of the state to be attached to the Sumter's regiment of riflemen and sold Armstrong two new rifles for said service. Shortly after, in June 1776, your petitioner was sent as a volunteer Oh, was sent as a volunteer sergeant, Captain Waddle Wadlington's company. Jesus Christ, these names. <laughs> uh, commanded by Colonel Lyles 
against the Indian tribe of the Cherokee that committed some of the most bloody and cruel murders that stained the pages of history. During the expedition, we were attacked in the night by a number of Indians and white men in disguise. We were successful in repelling the attack and in taking several prisoners of the white men who were painted after the manner of the Indians. For thence we marched until we joined General Williamson's army on Seneca River. And with the assistance of General Rutherford's army, we succeeded after several battles and skirmishes in subduing the nation. Your petitioners further begs your petitioner further begs to leave leave to the state that he did perform services in different parts of the state as need required until the fall of Charleston and the capture of General Lincoln's army. Then your petitioner left his family and went to the state of Virginia, where he remained inactive until the Battle uh, of Guilford. Yeah, the battle battle at Guilford. Uh, hmm. Then he returned to this state again, found his wife and four small children who had been plundered by the Tories for their bedclothes and provisions, and not daring to stay with them, he went and joined General Green's army and remained until the retreat of said army and went into the army to Hamilton Ford on Tiger River, and then with scouting parties till after the battle at the Utah Springs. Utah, Utah, I'm just going to call it Utah. Then your petitioner was ordered by General A. Pickens to enlist a company of riflemen to be mounted for the term of four months and to join Colonel Hammond's Regiment of Dragoons, which he accordingly, accordingly did and served the tour of duty, in which time one of his men left his horse, and you, the petitioner, gave him another for which at the time would say would be worth 35 or $40, and received nothing. Then the petitioner went to General Green's army near Charleston, and there met with General Pinkins, who directed him to take charitage, chartage of wagon ammunition and particulars, then returned home with the regiment as the colonel was absent, and to take the ammunition and other uh, particulars to his blockhouse near hmm I don't know that's that's an awkwardly written sentence this brought him to the most happy period in his life to close the struggle for independence your petitioner will add nothing more to his history of his revolutionary war services but praise uh, you honor uh, take this case in consideration and grant him such relief as your wisdom may seem proper. Signed, Jeremiah Williams, Sr. So it does say, his petition was denied, therefore he did not receive a pension, even though his, uh, this petition, <laughs> even though this petition, jeez, I cannot get that word out. Even though this petition was signed Jeremiah Sr., it is believed that his that this is the grandson of Paul Williams, not his son, Jeremiah Jr., who is listed in Daniel Will Williams' will, had a son, Jeremiah, 
and it is believed that he signed the petition senior because he was at that time. So it sounds like uh, the whatever documents that they had, um, he signed at the time, uh, just before the Revolutionary War popped off, he signed it as Jeremiah Williams Jr. But because his father passed away, he became a senior. And his son, his, his son became junior. So they probably just thought, well, this guy's probably lying because it says junior, senior, and there's a little bit of a mix-up. So, but I don't know. I, I think that he did serve in this capacity. Why go to all this trouble um, writing this letter uh, to Congress? And uh, potentially not get anything out of it. So, let's see. And honorable mentions on this side of the family, my mother's side, is David Sloan, uh, Samuel Givens, John Harwood, Samuel uh, Riddinger, uh, John Taylor Jr., who served under Captain Enoch Osborne, and that's all I could find. And uh, lastly, Abraham Griffith. And uh, once again, I found these documents, or I found uh, these guys who had served through their descendants applying to either the uh, sons of the American Revolution or um, the daughters of the American Revolution Association. So um, just a pretty cool little piece of uh, history and, and uh, just amazing that I could find this out through uh, Ancestry.com and just to be able to see who served and kind of what they did and what capacity. So yeah, I think we're going over a little bit on time. So I think that's going to be enough out of me. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening to this podcast. I uh, spent a lot of time uh, just going over all this research. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it was probably about four or five, maybe six hours long worth of research, but, uh, I was pretty excited to learn about all this stuff. So anyway, um, if you like this podcast, uh, rate it, subscribe. Um, if you want to leave me a voice message, um, you can go to anchor.fm forward slash, uh, P E R T E M P U S per tempest and uh, leave me a voice message. I believe you do have to create an account with Anchor to be able to do that. But uh, yeah, if you do that, then I'll play it on the next show. And um, thank you guys so much. Bye.